The History Channel original podcast. History This Week, March 27th, 1986. I'm Sally Helm. At the Monmouth Medical Center in New Jersey, a baby has just been born. According to her birth certificate, her name is Sarah Elizabeth Whitehead, and her parents are Mary Beth and Richard Whitehead. Mary Beth and Richard are together in a hospital room surrounded by flowers, pink tulips from Richard's sister, a bouquet from Mary Beth's mom and dad. And pretty soon, the couple gets some visitors. William and Elizabeth Stern. The Stearns have a very different perspective on this whole tranquil maternity ward scene. They believe that this baby is named Melissa, not Sarah. And the Whiteheads aren't the parents. They are. William Stern is the biological father of the baby, and Mary Beth Whitehead is her biological mom. But she's been carrying the child as a surrogate, and the whole plan has been that once the baby is born, Mary Beth will give her up to the Stearns. In fact, the Stearns don't know that Mary Beth has gone ahead and filled out the birth certificate with the name Sarah. They don't know that she's listed her husband, Richard, as the father. The Stearns and Mary Beth Whitehead walk down to the nursery to see baby Melissa, a.k.a. baby Sarah. She's crying, so Mary Beth goes inside to comfort her. She holds the child up so the Stearns can see her. They look at the baby through a pane of glass. The next day, William and Elizabeth Stern come back to the hospital, and Mary Beth Whitehead tells them, basically, I don't care what I told you before. I can't give you this baby. I gave birth to her yesterday, and I want to keep her, because I'm her mother. Today, the strange case of Baby M. How did the struggle over this newborn change the way Americans think about parenthood? And how, almost 40 years later, are we still grappling with what surrogacy means? Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. When Carol Sanger started teaching at Columbia Law School in 1994, surrogacy was really uncommon. In fact, it barely existed. There wasn't the technology for it. And I remember that I made up a question with surrogacy in it on an exam, but it was like a hypothetical because there was no such thing. One of Sanger's academic specialties is, as she puts it, odd issues in family law. Family law covers things like marriage, divorce, adoption, custody. And on an exam, she's trying to push students to think about some situation that they've never even considered. Something that sounds familiar but actually isn't 
anything they've ever seen before. Wow, and your your sort of craziest hypothetical you could think of was, was <laughs> surrogacy that people could create a baby as they called them then in a test tube and implant it in the mother who gave the egg. And then all sorts of questions arise from that. And so then you you end up watching as that sort of most obscure, difficult legal question becomes this real legal question. Yes. The first formal surrogacy contract in the U.S. was drawn up in 1976, the same year Carol Sanger got her law degree. And it was for an arrangement known as traditional surrogacy. Say there's a couple that wants to have a baby, but maybe a woman in the couple is infertile or being pregnant would be medically dangerous for this couple. So they decide to use a surrogate. That surrogate agrees to be artificially inseminated, but the egg belongs to her. So genetically, she's the mother. She gets pregnant, carries a child to term, and then gives it to the other couple. Today, most surrogacy doesn't happen this way. Lots of couples now use what's called gestational surrogacy, where the surrogate is not genetically related to the baby. Instead, couples can use egg and sperm from themselves and or from donors. The egg gets fertilized in a lab, and then the embryo gets implanted in the surrogate through in vitro fertilization. Back in 1976, that technology did not exist. So that first 1976 surrogacy contract was for a traditional surrogacy arrangement. And it was put together by a man named Noel Keene. He was from Michigan. He was a lawyer. And he became known as the father of surrogacy. For that first contract in 1976, the surrogate didn't get paid. This was what was known as altruistic surrogacy. But Noel Keene realizes there might be a market for this service. And so... He started gathering up the resumes, the portfolios, on women who wanted to be surrogates. And then he started advertising to infertile couples. And where did he do this advertising? He did it in local newspapers, and he also went on national TV programs. A couple of papers wouldn't take his ads at first. Surrogacy was new, and some people thought it was sketchy. But as the word got out, he started going on bigger and bigger programs, finding more and more infertile couples and more and more willing surrogates. And his practice grows. In 1981, he founds the Infertility Center of New York. And a few years later, a woman in New Jersey sees his ad. Her name is Mary Beth Whitehead. I've seen the ad that she actually saw that was in their local newspaper. You know, $10,000, give the gift of life to a infertile couple, call this number. And she did. But Mary Beth Whitehead and other surrogates like her, when they call Keene's number, they are walking into a complicated situation. I mean, in 1986, is surrogacy legal? What's the legal status? Nobody knew. Nobody knew whether surrogacy was legal or not. And by the way, a number of states have in their statutes, we can't say if this is legal or not. They're very upfront about it. And they say this state has taken no position on the legality of this, which means you can go ahead and do a surrogacy if you want, but don't come creeping up to the state and saying, now I want you to enforce it for me. At this point in time, New Jersey, where the Whiteheads live, is one of those states. There are no laws dictating the rules around surrogacy, so it's kind of a free-for-all. 
And to Mary Beth Whitehead, surrogacy sounds like a great idea. She has two kids of her own already. She married her husband, Richard, very young, at 16. He was 24. They've gone through some money troubles, but by this point, when Mary Beth is in her late 20s, things are pretty stable. Richard is a garbage truck driver. They own a home. And when Mary Beth Whitehead sees this ad, she's not just thinking, this is a way to make money. She's also thinking, this is a way to do good in the world. She writes on her application to be a surrogate, I would like for other human beings to experience the gift of life and the joys of parenthood. She was, I'm going to say the brains behind the operation, but she was the one who pushed this whole thing forward. And he was just, this looks like a good way to get $10,000 quickly. Mary Beth enjoys being pregnant. So Mary Beth decides to try this. Her husband Richard agrees. And then, through the Infertility Center of New York, they meet another couple, William and Elizabeth Stern. The Stearns had met while they were grad students at the University of Michigan. So the Stearns are heading towards upper middle class, but definitely firmly middle class couple, highly educated. She had an MD and a PhD, and she was a pediatric oncologist, and they bought a house, and they were a very up-and-coming young couple. Mrs. Stern was very quiet. You know, she appeared a little fragile or docile in a way. They were about 15 years older than the Whiteheads. That's a, you know, a funny age difference. They're not old enough to be your parents, but there's a real line there. And they were so much more educated. The Stearns had no children. And Mr. Stern especially really wanted to have a biological child. But Mrs. Stern was worried about being pregnant. This is slightly complicated, but she thought that she had multiple sclerosis, and this made her worried about pregnancy. Those concerns may have been exaggerated in her own mind. Many women with MS can have perfectly healthy pregnancies. But in any case, the Stearns decide that they want to have a child through a surrogate. They're actually working with another woman at first, and it's going great, until the pipes in her house burst on the day of an important appointment and the whole thing falls through. But Noel Keene says, not to worry. You should meet Mary Beth Whitehead. The Stearns agree. And so? They meet at Howard Johnson's on a big highway in New Jersey. They're going to end up talking about terrifically intimate things, like Richard Whitehead had had a vasectomy. And he'd had a vasectomy because they were, I'm not saying rock bottom, but they couldn't afford to have any more children. For the Stearns, this is good news. The Whiteheads don't want more kids. There won't be any complication about giving the baby up after the pregnancy. It seems like a great fit. After about an hour and a half, they're sold that Mary Beth Whitehead is the right person. In February of 1985, William and Mary Beth sign a contract saying that Mary Beth will be artificially inseminated with William's sperm. She'll renounce parental rights to the child, and she'll get $10,000. And then they enter into this strange relationship, which is in some ways professional and in others quite personal. When Mary Beth went into New York City to the fertility agency to get inseminated, Mr. Stern would pick her up at the Hojo and they would drive into the city together. So it's a kind of funny date, you know? (laughs) I mean, this is a very intimate relationship when you think about it, conceiving with a stranger. 
Mary Beth gets pregnant, and all goes pretty much as planned, right up until the day of the birth. Mary Beth has the baby at Monmouth Medical Center in New Jersey. She later writes, It was the joy and the pain of giving birth that finally made me realize I wasn't giving Elizabeth Stern her baby, I was giving her my baby. When the Stearns arrive at the hospital, they slowly begin to realize that things are not going as they thought they would. The day after the birth, Mary Beth tells them that she doesn't think she can go through with handing over the child. The Stearns try to reassure her, telling her that she can come visit the baby, be close to her. But that's not what Mary Beth wants. She wants to be the baby's mother. The Whiteheads take the baby home on the morning of Easter Sunday. And then the Stearns arrive to take her home with them. Mary Beth hands the baby over, but she's distraught. The following day, she shows up at the Stearns' door. She says, I can't bear this. You have to give her back to me again. She pleaded with the Stearns to please let her have it, I think for a week longer. And that if she didn't, she feared she might take her life. So suddenly, the Stearns are in hell. You know, they've got a seriously distraught woman threatening them with suicide. And all they wanted was to take their baby home, as was their right under the contract. The Stearns let Mary Beth take the child for a week. And after that week, she doesn't bring the baby back. More time passes, more telephone calls and visits and pleading and negotiating. But Mary Beth won't give up the baby. And in May, the Stearns go to court. Mary Beth isn't there, which is unusual. Normally, if you have a custody case, or almost any kind of case, you don't get a private hearing before a judge without the other party being present. But the court said, no, you can have it here because this woman is, he didn't say whack, whack, you know, bonkers. But the judge said, yes, we have to do something. And he said, I'm awarding you uh, temporary custody of the baby. It is your baby. After this ruling, the police arrive at the Whitehead's home to collect the baby. And here's where things really take a turn. She took the baby to a back room and passed it out the back window. She hands the baby through that window to her husband, who has a car waiting. And the Whiteheads go on the run. The Stearns won't know their whereabouts for the next 87 days. The Whiteheads go to stay with family in Neptune, New Jersey. Then they go to Florida, where they leave their two other kids with Mary Beth's parents and stay with the baby in a series of motels and hotels and friends' houses. They're basically fugitives. And the Stearns are getting desperate. They hire a private detective to find the baby. And finally, in July, with the help of the Florida authorities, they get the baby back. The Whiteheads return to New Jersey, and they contest the custody judgment. Mary Beth says, You had a hearing without me being present. That was really unfair. And they said, well, that's because you were acting like a maniac. And she said, any good mother would have acted like a maniac. She said, I was behaving as any mother who couldn't bear to have her child taken from her acted. She put motherhood right on the table, you know. She said, don't talk to me about contracts. But the Stearns are very interested in talking about the contract. The contract says this baby is rightfully theirs. 
And so these two couples are now locked in a legal battle that will bring the issue of surrogacy onto the national stage. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. On January 5th, 1987, the trial begins. It makes news all across the country. This was a very exciting thing for the press because, first of all, nobody had really heard of surrogacy before. And so what do we get? We get the juiciest case with kidnapping. The Stearns are arguing, look, legally, this is simple. We agreed with this woman we would pay her $10,000 in exchange for her gestating and delivering to us the baby that is her biological baby and my, Mr. Stern's, biological baby. This wasn't just a slapdash thing. It was a very complicated contract, and we're making a very simple claim for breach of contract. Mrs. Whitehead, on the other hand, said... There are some things that money can't buy. In fact, she says, in New Jersey, the sale of a child is a criminal act. She says, don't think about this contract. Think about what's best for the child. And she said, I'm the most loving mother. You know, she makes a very, very big case for her own motherhood. While all of this is taking place inside the courtroom, just outside, the media is having a field day. Nearly everyone in the country has heard of Baby M, and they're forming their opinions of these couples. Who's right and who's wrong? There was a a very interesting optics game being played. When the case started, Mrs. Whitehead had a big head of curly, curly, curly hair. And Mrs. Stern had very neat, orderly, straight bob with bangs going across the front. And slowly, as the trial went on, Mrs. Whitehead began to look more and more like Mrs. Stern. Her hair flattened. I mean, it's very interesting. They did a number of things to sort of have her not be this wild, crazy woman who throws babies out windows, but is as respectable in every way as Mrs. Stern. Respectable. In some ways, that perception is all about money. The Stearns are richer than the Whiteheads. And you can see that all over the trial, both in the way the lawyers are talking and in the way that the public is reacting to these couples. 
And as the case drags on, things in general get pretty ugly. Like, Mary Beth is really angry when she finds out that Mrs. Stern might not technically be infertile. She feels like she was duped. And there's testimony that in previous years, the Whiteheads had a tumultuous marriage, possibly involving domestic violence. Everything about these people's lives is fair game. Finally, after roughly a month, the judge gives his verdict. And it's in favor of the Stearns. He says, not only is the contract binding, but the child's best interest also lies with Elizabeth and William. And not only do the Stearns get the kid, the judge says, in fact, bring the kid to the front of the courtroom right now. We're going to have an adoption right here in the court. Wow. Yeah. And do they? Yeah. The Whiteheads appeal the case to the Supreme Court of New Jersey. And the couples go through this whole rigmarole again. And in this trial, one of Mary Beth's arguments becomes very important. She argues this is the exploitation of women. She assembles the facts that what their comparative you know, yearly earnings are and how there's no way the parties would have been reversed here. So when you're talking about how class comes into it, I mean, in the decision of the, of the Supreme Court, they say we have the exploitation of a young, poor couple. And ultimately, the state Supreme Court's decision is different from the lower court's decision. They say this surrogacy contract is illegal. Mary Beth Whitehead is right about that. The legislature could make surrogacy legal if they wanted, but for now, it's not. And yet, the ultimate outcome stays the same, because the court decides it is in the best interest of the child to stay with the Stearns. Which is no surprise, because it's a nicer neighborhood, it's better schools, it's everything. It's a very classic, nice suburban upbringing. But they do say that Mrs. Whitehead gets constant visitation. And Elizabeth Stearns' earlier adoption is terminated. The baby will stay with the Stearns. William is the legal father with custody rights. Mary Beth is the legal mother with visitation. So it's a more mixed decision. People, I think, were satisfied that the judge had split the baby in the right way. You know, that it was very Solomonic, that he he said, we're going to go under the best interest of the child, and we're going to say you can never enter a contract like this again in New Jersey. For baby M herself, this means things finally calm down. She's almost two years old now, and she's officially Melissa Stern. After the case, these couples fade out of the public eye. But the debate over surrogacy does not end. Legislators begin looking more closely at surrogacy, trying to figure out how to regulate it. Within a year of the first trial, about half of U.S. states have drafted new laws on this issue. It woke people up to the fact that there's a new reproductive game going on now. And I don't mean game in a frivolous way. That there's new forms of reproduction that we had never thought about before. And over time, that only gets more and more true. Like with the rise of gestational surrogacy. And then later, with more and more same-sex couples trying to have kids. For some of them, surrogacy is really the only option for having a biological kid. But the debate over the ethics of surrogacy and its legality is still fraught. The U.S. is actually one of the only countries in the world that allows surrogacy. Some states ban it. New York and New Jersey only recently made it legal again, 
overruling their Baby M era laws. And those who object to surrogacy do so for all kinds of reasons, from the exploitation of women to the sanctity of traditional childbirth. One expert we talked to noted, it's a rare reproductive issue where Pope Francis and Gloria Steinem agree. They're both against surrogacy. It's worth saying, of course, that many people have had successful and happy pregnancies through surrogacy. There are lots of cases where this doesn't descend into chaos. For Carol Sanger, the complicated questions raised by surrogacy have become part of her life's work. And as time goes on, there are more and more situations that once seemed like wild hypotheticals, but that are now reality. Like Sanger told us about one issue in Israel. Parents who want to harvest a dead soldier's sperm after he dies so that they can have a biological grandchild. Should that be allowed? It's called posthumous reproduction. Now, that seems pushing the envelope very far because you don't even have the consent of the man. He's dead. There was actually a similar case in the U.S. fairly recently where a young West Point cadet died unexpectedly and his parents were granted permission to harvest his sperm. So Sanger says these issues are only getting more and more complicated. People are now going to have to think through their reproductive capacities sort of into an imaginary world where they might die. And I don't know, should you put in your will you do or don't want your sperm used? These questions have all arisen in the 30-odd years since baby M was born. In that time, Mary Beth Whitehead went on to get divorced and have two more kids, and she published an autobiography about her experience with baby M and the pain all this has caused her. And meanwhile, Melissa Stern grew up. When she turned 18, she terminated Mary Beth Whitehead's parental rights, and Elizabeth Stern formally adopted her. She told the New Jersey Monthly that she loves her parents. Quote, they're my best friends in the whole world, and that's all I have to say about that. Thanks for listening to History This Week. For more moments throughout history that are also worth watching, check your local TV listings to find out what's on the History Channel today. This episode was produced by McKamey Lynn. History This Week is also produced by Julie Magruder, Ben Dickstein, and me, Sally Helm. Our editor and sound designer is Dan Rosato, and our researcher is Emma Fredericks. Our executive producers are Jesse Katz and Ted Butler. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review History This Week wherever you get your podcasts. And we will see you next week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.